I don't know why you wanted to stop. I mean, this is the premier Buffalo Bills podcast uh, <laughs> on the internet. It's uh, true. There's only one. It, it's about to become the premier Las Vegas Aces podcast on, on the internet because uh, as I'm watching, they're about to win the WNBA finals as we're at, on 6.13 p.m. on an NFL Sunday. Uh, just tremendous scheduling. Just just awesome. I... <laughs> I'm in awe, really, of of the management of all of this. I uh, and I also may have had a, uh, a a little bit of a futures wager placed on the Aces to mm, to win the WNBA you... title. Um, so I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good right now. Are you Ace and Aces fan? You want to know how I came to that conclusion? <laughs> <laughs> Are you accusing me of being self centered? No, I just I'm actually curious. Like I didn't know if that is that your team. Um, it. Like right up until the point where Atlanta drafted Nas Hillman. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I kind of, I guess I have, I'm a Nas Hillman fan and I have Aces stuff. And then um, I have an Atlanta Dream shirt because of Nas Hillman. Player fandom. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's a little shameful. I, I have multiple teams and it when you when you root for two teams in a WNBA you're rooting for like 20 percent of the league so <laughs> I mean, you're like Rob Lowe is... in the NFL hat <laughs> except know. for it's just WNBA <laughs> it's you're really uh, improving your odds of like feeling good though if you're rooting for a fifth of the league that's great it's well like in like one, big 10 one of them is like a top of the league team and one of them is very much in a rebuilding stage so I feel like I hung on to the aces through them being coached by Bill Lambeer who told the team just like we're not going to shoot threes we don't do that we're oh, gonna play man. like it's 1986 and um they were still good because they had like dominant bigs but they just were a frustrating team that couldn't get over the hump because they did not play modern basketball and then uh they hired becky hammond who was uh the san antonio spurs assistant coach and uh, that was a great idea and now they shoot a lot of threes and uh they're going to lift the trophy and like 30 seconds so hey congrats to the aces and congrats to ace on behalf of the aces and i get to say the word ace a lot in a sentence ace aces with the aces um <laughs> i also want to point out rooting for players is good though like i i think you know i root for laundry obviously i root for especially the maize and blue laundry but josh allen my josh allen fandom is how i became a bills fan which uh is the greatest fandom on earth as our co-host taylor knows so and it's, and it's totally reshaped this podcast that. so where would we be without that oh, <laughs> really man. where would any of us be without josh allen he uh <laughs> he's taken a lot of sacks for our sins but actually like he's he's legitimately transformed the call like the way college analysts talk about college quarterbacks like He's okay, we legitimately yeah. have a big mood about that, so I'm going <laughs> to transition to the actual podcast now. <laughs> Welcome to the Bucket Problem, episode 59. I am your host, Ace Ambender. You have already heard my two co-hosts, Connor Southerd and Taylor Fulton, we are presented by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet. We're a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we're a meet at midfield production. Michigan beats UConn fifty-nine to nothing. They uh, cover the spread and the total on their own. That that's that's beautiful stuff. Um, the final total yardage was four hundred sixty-five to one hundred ten. We'll we'll eventually circle back to this one briefly. Um, Connor, 
we kind of queued you up for for your big boot. So so have at it. Yeah, I, I, Taylor was actually making a really cogent point about Josh Allen. I, I'm I'm a very mixed views of that because like I love that he's celebrated. It's also really funny how like every athletic QB with a big but erratic arm is now the next Josh Allen. I find that endlessly interesting. Will Levis, baby, it's gonna happen. Yeah, and it's just like I have so many thoughts about why any given person is not Josh Allen, but I will save those for for Taylor and I's breakaway uh, podcast. We'll eventually do just about Josh Allen, all Josh Allen, all the time. No bills, just Josh Allen. Um, anyway, my take, the big move for the week is football takes are true right up until they aren't. I was thinking about this recently about like for I was thinking about this because it is nice to be able to take for granted that Michigan will just steamroll in ignoble fashion. Um you know, three non-conference opponents, because like I've seen talented Michigan teams struggle with much lesser opponents before I've seen Michigan start seasons looking not sharp. That's been a serious problem for in, in many seasons, but this team has looked sharp from the drop. Um, they have done everything you could hope against an admittedly hilarious farcical rather slapstick schedule. And so, you know, football takes that are true until they aren't like, I remember just within the hardball era, there were takes like Michigan will ever have an elite offensive line. Michigan will never have good defensive tackles. Michigan will never have an explosive offense. Michigan will never manage the clock well. Um, and these were all, tr- they all felt true. At, at, at given I have moments. so many coordinator rants that I'm holding back right now. <laughs> yeah. And like, there were reasons to say, I think a lot of it, like often what was said is like, these are Jim Harbaugh defects that will not get fixed under Jim Harbaugh. And as of now, Jim Harbaugh has fixed all the ones that I pointed towards. Like, I think it's funny. We have to keep reminding ourselves that Michigan last year and presumably this year as well is like one of the most explosive offenses in the country in terms of like how often they have big plays. Uh, it doesn't feel that way when they're, you know, grounding and pounding. But like the cumulative effect is that. Um, and I, I just wonder what what takes will fall next you know could it be that uh elite spread offenses with pampered toy poodle quarterback academy passers <laughs> or michigan just... hasn't developed a great quarterback <laughs> since tom brady how about oh that? well that okay that's a better one i was i was <laughs> going towards the forbidden the forbidden fruit of takes that i'm gonna keep <laughs> hinting at but i can't do but um we we I, had I just... to we had to pff stat you out of an even more extreme extremist take uh, before we yeah there. <laughs> I, I was i was doing some slander before we started rolling the tape but like but I, I just want to cap it off by saying, like, this is the fun thing about and the maddening thing about doing sports analysis is like we gather all this data, we create takes out of it. And then the fun part is that we get proven wrong and we have to create a new take. And I think that like that mutability, I think, frustrates some people. I find it immensely fun and I have as much fun being wrong as I have being right. With one very notable exception, being tremendously wrong for most of last year was extremely fun. <laughs> I enjoyed it immensely. Um, we're not going to talk about that exception. <laughs> Taylor, what's your big boot? Um, mine is pretty simple. Uh, Lance Leipold should coach at Wisconsin eventually when that opens up, because like that is feeling more and more inevitable every day. Um, Why would I you mean, want to give them nice things? They don't deserve that. Sorry. I don't know. I, I just I don't like, like this. I like him staying at Kansas or, or taking the Nebraska job where it's just I mean, he's still dangerous, but he's only so dangerous. Wisconsin with Leipold is like scary. That that is, is scary. It is for real. So if you missed it, so um, if you did not see, uh, Kansas opened a can of whoop-ass on Houston, and it rocked. It was my favorite thing. Um, This is related to this Michigan podcast because we are, because uh, Patrick Mayhorn and I, um, as well as uh, DJ, for the first 
uh, part of the game before the rain delay uh, did cover this. I love this that on TJ our... just does cameos. <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice. He just like kind of pops in um, and just kind of like graces us with his presence and is really insightful and then just like leaves. It's really, really lovely. Um, but anyway, we do playback streams once a week. Uh, we tweet those at meet at midfield. You should join us for those. Um, anyway, so we're watching the game. Um, and basically the entire time, Patrick and I are freaking out because Lance pulled is just drawing up the wildest shit for Kansas. Like, I I just, they, they won 48 to 30. It was a decisive win. Dana Holgerson's, like, entire, like, play calling ethos is divorced i don't know how to explain it but <laughs> oh, um <man. laughs> i'm so sorry uh i'm sorry to the divorced fans of this this show he's a very specific type of divorce and yes, it's, it's a the very... divorce that sit, stays up all night in the casino yeah it's that the like bobby petrino divorce <laughs> yes. yes 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 and um i mean jalen daniels was is the walter camp national offensive player of the week and like Think like the transformation that Leipold had in his program in a year and a half, like two two years ish, um, is incredible, and I really love that. I do think because he's got the ties to UW Whitewater, uh, he coached there as a GA. I think it's a more realistic spot for him than Nebraska, who I will talk about later. Um, I have a few thoughts on Nebraska, but we'll get there. <laughs> I just oh, boy, we'll get there. oh, we will. I I just think that like what he is able to do and what he has accomplished in a very short time. And he already, he also did this with Buffalo. Um, So not the Buffalo bills as much as I would love to talk about them. Um, The Buffalo bulls. Uh, I I'm just really impressed with what he's able to do in a short period of time and kind of bring people on board and make the most of talent that is not necessarily as good on paper. So to Connor's point, um, kind of bringing this all home, Kansas is not the most talented roster, but he is drawing things up to their strengths. Um, putting really creative plays together, particularly on offense. On defense, they've got a couple really nice guys up front, too. And it's really impressive. Um, so I guess maybe I shouldn't have wished Lance Leipold to Wisconsin. I think I'm taking back my big mood as I'm saying it. Please undo <laughs> this wish casting, but yes. <laughs> I am undoing the wish casting, but um, you know. This is just this because is, you're friends yeah. with Drew on Twitter. We know what's going on here. <laughs> Drew Drew Hom having a, a strong impact on this on this podcast. This yeah, yeah that in the pain hive uh directly I just responsible. Wanna... I just wanted to say, like, I, I'm not I'm not going to patronize Wisconsin. I will patronize teams like Illinois and Indiana. Wisconsin has been enough of a pain in the ass for Michigan, including some really obnoxious, like, destructive beatdowns of our team recently. Not long ago, 2019 and 2020, they beat the shit out of Michigan. I don't want them to have nice things. They need to go through at least five years of humiliation before I put them in my Indiana condescension category. Drew, I love you, but... <laughs> I, I'm not there yet with the Badgers. I'm sorry, man. That's entirely fair. I'm I'm really sorry. Even though Wisconsin fans are very, very nice at tailgates. They're super nice. They're lovely people. Um don't let them get to you like this. Don't don't give them what they want. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This might be a Wisconsin podcast now. I'm gonna shut up. All right. I actually I wanna add something very quickly on Lance Leopold. Uh, first of all, let me ask the crowd, uh, how many coaches, not including interims, do you think Kansas has gone through since they won more than one Big 12 game in a season? I don't like where this question is going. Wow. I mean, like, I, I'm just wondering, like, how Charlie Weiss fits into this. <laughs> this <whole scenario. laughs> You're on the right somewhere. track. 
you are on the right track. I I don't know, man. Like four or something? I mean, you you tell me. Uh, Yes, uh, it's actually five. Uh, Oh, wow. Well, Leopold is the fifth. Um, Previous to that was Les Miles, who won one conference game in two years. I forgot he coached there. This is such a graveyard of... Leopold is picking up the scraps from the Les Miles at Kansas era. This is unbelievable what he's doing. Prior to Les Miles was David Beatty, who won two conference games in four seasons. Uh, Prior to that was the aforementioned Charlie Weiss era, two (laughs) Big 12 wins in three seasons. And prior to that was two years of Turner Gill, one Big 12 win in two seasons. And finally, you get to Mark Mangino, who went one in seven in the Big 12 in his last season there in 2009. But in 2008, one year after they went to the Orange Bowl, they went eight and five and four and four in the Big 12. The year that Rich Rod took over Michigan was the last time that Kansas won multiple Big 12 games. They're already on the precipice because <laughs> wow. they beat West Virginia. <laughs> like, so you- this dude's a miracle maker. Keep him as far the fuck away from Madison as possible. Yeah, we don't need him in Madison. We really like <laughs> deeply do not need that. And I, I just want to say like, I already made the Bobby Petrino joke, but I'm I'm like surprised Bobby Petrino somehow wasn't in that story you just told about Kansas coaches because it is like it's that level of just that was a that was a who's who of just coaches that have been rejected from the the the, the FCS world or the FBS world. Future uh, Kansas head coach Scott Frost. I'm just saying it now. Also, the uh, the interim coach who took over for Charlie Weiss uh, after he was fired. Um, now coaches Lawrence High School in Lawrence, Kansas. Wow. You cannot make this shit up. Wow. He must have really loved Kansas. <laughs> I guess he did. Um, and I guess he knew about the Peter Principle. <laughs> um, man, incredible stuff. Uh, my big mood is actually two big moods because uh, one is late breaking uh, while I was preparing for the podcast. Uh, very quickly, though. Um, I, I anticipate that uh, Robert Griffin III is going to get uh, super mega fired for being just the hordiest man alive while calling football games. He is only leaning into it more as each week goes on. Uh, but one positive thing that has come out of this is that Alex Orgy, uh, according to uh, a photo that was tweeted to me by a friend of the pod, Gordon, um, is now signing uh, photos um, of him scoring touchdowns uh, with Orgy in the end zone um, as, as part of his signature. And I love it. I hope he got paid for it. Embrace the image. Um, the student section was chanting his name uh, on Saturday. Uh, I, I I had one response from somebody on uh, Twitter who said he he overheard a, a dad who absolutely could not stop laughing have to explain to his son why the students were chanting Orgy's name. And uh, he had to, on the fly, be like, oh, it's because he doesn't play very much, and they're really happy to see him in. Um, Which, (laughs) technically true, and that's how you parent. Um, (laughs) Coming from not a parent. Uh, But my late-breaking big mood, um, and this was late-breaking both in terms of the event that happened uh, and... uh, the event that led to the uh, event happening. Uh, Eastern Michigan ended Herm Edwards at Arizona State. Eastern Michigan won last night and late last night. This game ended at like 2.30 in the morning Eastern time. Uh, But Eastern Michigan beat Arizona State on the road 
30 to 21 um body clocks be damned uh and uh Arizona State uh is now one and two their only one is against an FCS team and they fired Herm Edwards uh so I I'm just I'm tremendously proud of Eastern that's which is now two and one for uh making it to this point where um Yes, they may have been the final straw, but they're also actually kind of good. <laughs> it's so, Lanny Pride, dude. Go, we, we, uh, yeah, <laughs> we love it. I, 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 uh, I, you know, I, I silenced, the, I muted everything, and just let the the celebratory sounds of Ypsilanti at two thirty five in the morning after a big Eagles win just uh, just soak in and uh crickets absolute crickets yeah i was gonna say like <laughs> all the beautiful sounds of what like a car passing your house like uh someone mowing their lawn would actually be not entirely unlikely around here it's it's a little strange um quirky town i love it um but yeah uh congrats to eastern and uh it really seems like um arizona state did the usc thing where uh they they held on to a coach that they absolutely should have fired uh, after the previous season and then just had to had to just bail like we're, we're, we're this was week two <laughs> uh, or week three. Sorry, um, man, it's uh, that really is. Or I guess that's also the less miles of less miles probably pioneered that one. Um Quickly, I guess uh, we we've reached the Yukon portion. Uh, we have to talk about this game. Uh, I I want to note heading into this, Michigan's uh three non-conference opponents are all ranked 120th or worse in SP Plus this week. <laughs> well, that's just because we beat them so badly. Like, yeah, they'll, they'll go up. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, that's ticket. Um, don't look don't look that up any further. Like, you don't need to. Yeah, it's just because Michigan really do demoralized them. It. It's not anything else. It's not that they can't. That they came in already bad. Don't worry about it. Michigan it's, is good. You didn't see Jim Mora on the sideline. That was uh, a, just a three-hour-long hallucination on your part. He is definitely not actually the coach of UConn. Jim that Mora. Be, that would be a ridiculous thing for them to do. Jim Mora said in his post-game presser that Michigan is a definite national championship contender. <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm going to take him seriously. All right. Uh, Jim Mora is actually good, declares the bucket problem. Here we are. Um, there was also a portion of that in the broadcast uh, on Saturday because uh, things got real boring. Uh, they ran out of things to talk about. It was 59-0. Um, so quarterback stuff, mostly notable for Cade McNamara, unfortunately, Hurting his leg kind of got folded under him on one of two pretty big hits that he took uh, in his brief time in the game. Um, J.J. McCarthy was very good again, uh, which is kind of what we expect against UConn's defense. And many others played. Alan Bowman was somehow the only one of like nine quarterbacks who got in the game. And I mean that literally. I think all nine Michigan quarterbacks on the roster played. Um uh, the only one to throw a touchdown pass was Alan Bowman somehow, but uh, McCarthy was pretty good other than a missed read that resulted in a three and out on the first drive and got the crowd a little, uh, little antsy. Um, and the offensive line just refuses to block for Cade back to bear. It's, uh, it's, it's enough of a trend with three's a trend. Um, we're, we're there three games. They, they don't block for him. Uh, they elected a captain and then decided to kill him. So uh, that sucks because he's out for a few weeks and, that's a that seems like an at minimum situation, and it's a lot 
you feel a lot more comfortable watching McCarthy, you know, bust down into the open field, keep on these plays. If uh, you've got McNamara ready to come in where you've got a baseline to play, where, you know, that can still win you a big 10 title. Um, we don't know if Michigan has that anymore at backup quarterback. And that is probably the most notable thing that happened in this entire game, unfortunately, because again, uh, every Michigan non-conference opponent ranked 120th or worse. Um, Speaking of walkover things, uh, Blake Horm, I would say, had the most boring five-touchdown game ever. <laughs> the three of them were from, like, one yard out. He only had 70-something yards of the game. It was just, like, he got the ball on the goal line a few times, and now uh, Hassan Haskins' record, and also Ron Johnson's record, still standing from 1969 against Wisconsin. Back when Wisconsin was bad, return to tradition. Um, yeah, that record tied by Blake Corum because Michigan just chose to hand the ball to him on the goal line after uh, several long passing plays came up just short of the goal line. It felt like he did have two pretty decent sized runs and looked good, but I don't know um, who wants to talk about AJ Henning. Cause that was fun. That was a legitimately fun part of this game. I really love AJ Henning. Um, I like, I was, I wanted him to be the punt returner like at the start of the season last year. And uh, he has, the look of a dude who could run a punt back. And that's exactly what he did. He's actually one of my favorite, favorite players on the team just because, like, I've always loved his acceleration in particular. Like, there's, there's speed, but there's also, like, how fast you get up to top speed. I think A.J. Henning has some of the best acceleration that I've seen in a Michigan uniform. Um, so, yeah, it was sick to see him get a moment like that. And, uh, you know, to compliment the the Caden Colasar punt block, because Caden Colasar is the true star of the special teams. <laughs> I admit that. But, always. Um, yeah, I mean, it was another like good vibes only game other than the Cade thing. And I'll just transition into my one actual take, which is that this offense has played sharp enough. They have enough stuff in the bag. They execute extremely well and look poised. And taking all of that away from three very bad opponents, I think this offense is legit and is going to be by far the best Jim Harbaugh offense and the best Michigan offense in a good while. Yeah, I mean, I I do think one thing you can very much take away from games against anybody is certain scheme takes because you're not going to install a different offense for your non-conference schedule. Um, so uh, what they're building here is what we're going to see and uh, probably with even wider variety and hopefully uh, uh, fewer slip-ups on the uh, offensive line when uh, someone besides JJ is in the game. But uh, um yeah, I I agree with you. I'm really excited about the direction this offense is going. Uh, Henning, in addition to cribbing a punt, um, which I, I would also add, in addition to speed, showed off some really impressive balance. Uh, he played both receiver and lined up as a running back, like a just straight-up running back, got an inside handoff, and that was kind of an interesting wrinkle for them to put on film where you have to kind of account for him at least plausibly providing a threat there. I would expect Michigan does some interesting stuff off of that look in the future. It's not that this is like anything that surpri- that should surprise anybody. Um, this was another one of those like classic camp quotes where they're like, yeah, we're going to use AJ Henning as a running back. And like, they're like, for the most part, like they've been pretty, like everything that coaches have said in camp is like coming to fruition. Like nothing has been like a weird things have been less like Jim Harbaugh weird and more just like upfront. Like this is what we're doing. And they're I have it. like a minor conspiracy theory about that AJ Henning carry, which Please. is that they, that they did it precisely so that Sam Webb would tweet that they used him like Debo Samuel. 
<laughs> which is exactly <laughs> what happened. That was a recruiting ploy, and I, I love it. If you're going to schedule these shit games, please like actively recruit during the games <laughs> with your yeah I, and i and i think that's like this is I, I think there's a bigger take here which is that like yeah it's three shitty teams and yeah the second half of all these games has been just a festival of throwing to people we'll never see again and god bless those guys <laughs> by the way like peyton o'leary hey, we're gonna seen. see some of those tight ends okay <laughs> yeah carter carter seltzer and max Predison will be out there in major games i promise you but like um, I, I just want to like get, get it out other like we take it for granted because Michigan was good last year and went to the playoff. I don't know if you guys remember, <laughs> um, but we take it for granted now. But it's like we spent so much of the Harbaugh era like begging Michigan, like just give it to the playmakers, let them make a play, like let offense look easy, like prioritize guys who are actually skilled with the ball in their hands, and like a lot of that did not happen in the way that it should have for a lot of the hardball era. I also think that Michigan often did not have enough playmakers. Like I think Michigan didn't have running backs of this caliber for a long time. Um, and certainly did not have this depth at receiver that they have right now. And like, yeah, they just had Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples Jones. <laughs> well, those those guys were good for sure. Yeah, I mean those those are the Sorry, ones where it's like just I'm give them the ball. Bitter. Yeah, no, I mean you should be, but I think it's like this is the beauty of it, right? Is like we we know what Roman Wilson is fast, so we throw we do bubble screens to him, and you know half the time it's a touchdown. Um, those are very we, cool, and I think that will work again. Th- that speed is going to translate as as does. Uh, Sorry, sorry to cut you off here, but Michigan's wide receiver blocking was so good in this game. Yeah, the wide receiver blocking was truly excellent. That's one of the strengths of the program, and it actually like pays a lot of dividends. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to cap it off by saying like this is the offense we asked for. It's not about a specific scheme so much as just the overall philosophy that like we're going to adapt the strengths of the players we have. We're going to give guys the ball in situations where they can succeed and we will run whatever it takes to make that happen. That's what we were begging for, and that's what this offense is, and it's beautiful to see. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, I think uh, the only other thing to add in the skill position department is Ronnie Bell seems pretty clearly the number one wideout. He had eight targets in this game, reeled in seven of them for 96 yards. Um, I, I think as we get into the season and Michigan isn't throwing to a zillion different players that um, it's going to be even more clear that he is the team's top target. Um, and we'll st- we have yet to kind of like I guess Roman Wilson seems like kind of a locked in number two, actually, and and Cornelius Johnson has kind of been the third guy, but that could that seems like it could switch pretty easily. Um, and you got to throw Eric All in there as well. So, um, a uh, just an embarrassment of riches, really, for Michigan in the skill department. Donovan Edwards didn't even play this game because he's uh, quote unquote working through something, which is usually uh, coach speak for a minor injury. Um, Saying that's a that's a good transition to the offensive line. Trevor T- Keegan played 12 snaps in this game, uh, got dinged up, left. Uh, it was once again Giovanni El Hadi, uh, who was the next man in on the offensive line because Carson Barnhart, uh, I assume they're being pretty cautious uh, with an ankle sprain uh, until they actually need their sixth offensive lineman and with Ryan Hayes back. And he had a, a one really impressive combo block that I saw already while going back through this game, and I'm not very far in, so... Uh, Ryan Hayes looks looks good uh, as far as I can tell. And yeah, um, it would be nice if Michigan stopped having linemen kind of rotate being dinged up. But um, I guess if there's a time for it, it's right now. We did see Trent Jones give up another edge rush sack. He was otherwise good, but like that's 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 too many. 
that's too many in a row. <laughs> I, I'm a little uncomfortable. This um, is the one thing that's like a thing on this offense. Like that's the one yeah. thing you can point at and be like, that is an issue. The the it, good thing is, I think me. I think McCarthy's. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think McCarthy has taken a sack yet. Um, so when Michigan is playing with their starting quarterback, uh, it it has not happened. But uh, still, still a little worrisome that. Uh, when rushers can pin their ears back, which they've been doing a lot more against McNamara and the rest of the guys that uh, he's been beaten pretty clean around the edge a few times. Yeah, I haven't been like super excited about that. And I do still think that that Jones is probably the the right fit there because he and Barnhart were both kind of like battling it out for that job. So again, I, I'm gonna I still want to chalk it up to a little bit of inexperience. Um yeah. and maybe boredom. <laughs> yeah, that too. That could do it. That could really do it. Um I, I do wonder like how that'll be addressed if it continues, especially into Big Ten play. Um because I do think we're gonna see some some pretty nasty uh defensive lines and, and edge edge rushers coming up. Uh, for them kind of uh, more than we've already seen so i mean like again the bar is at the floor um but yeah barnhart watch this week uh he he's out he was out um, yeah yeah Bar- barnhart watch has been on pause for <laughs> a minute here it's uh it's unfortunate it's really sad that i wanted to do a bit and now i can't do the bit <laughs> it's the worst been out the whole time just um, being or, robbed of a bit like this, we were so excited to unveil Barnhart watch it's because just... I'm so excited about about like what he's able to do, and we're just and uh, I'm being Taylor, I'm being silenced. You have to get creative. You have to like make up stories about what he's doing <laughs> in the meantime. He's like, he's like, is he got a pirate ship on the Great Lakes? I don't know. I mean, it's this, up to this you is to why Barnhart we don't watch. apply for credentials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a reason. Yeah. Um. Also, uh, I, I want to correct what I just said. J.J. McCarthy did take one sack on Saturday, but it was on his kind of uh, mega extended rollout play where he just sort of gave up uh, or couldn't find anybody and uh, ate a sack. So that wasn't really on any offensive lineman, and it was actually mostly on uh, the receivers not getting open. That's uh, also like one of those like quote-unquote sacks where it's like it's the quarterback behind the line of scrimmage, but he was definitely not in the pocket. Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like a negative two-yard run, basically. Uh, yeah. And I, since I went to check and see how many stats J.J. McCarthy uh, took this year, um, I just want to read off the rest of his stats because, god damn, uh, he is 30 for 34 for 473 yards that's 13.9 yards an attempt three touchdowns no picks uh he's already thrown for more first downs this year uh than he did on 58 attempts last season and uh yeah i i think that's pretty cool that that he's doing that in addition to all the running he's doing i i think it's good i think you should keep doing it uh because i like it it's it's fun to watch Let's not get too big for our britches and say that throwing the ball is good, Ace. I that's still <laughs> I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, I I went like mega mega stat geek uh football nerd in that uh in that breakdown and I apologize. Um Yeah, I mean Michigan is still coached by a man who's still pondering whether we need to throw or not. So let's not get ahead <laughs> of ourselves. All right. Uh we'll go to the defense on that note, uh, because we're running out of things, let's be honest. Um the, uh, the defensive line didn't produce any sacks, but they got pressure and they were really, really stout against the run. Although, again, this is UConn, hard to take anything away. Uh, I thought Mozzie Smith 
was a massive problem for UConn's run game in the middle. Chris Jenkins and Brady McGregor were also very good. And pretty much everybody who got in the field at least had like one, one moment. He got one from a Yabi Anoma. Uh, it, it was just it, a parade of guys into the backfield. Um, and then I went and looked at PFF grades and they have uh, one Michigan de- defender who played more than uh, 12 snaps, uh, get a grade above uh, 73. Um, they gave Mozzie Smith a 55. I don't know what's going on over there. I, I don't know what they're watching. I don't know how they evaluate line play. All I know is I'm extremely confused by it because they also hate Michigan's offensive line. And uh, they also hate Luke Schoonmaker. Um, Oluwatimi got a 55 in this uh, game and uh, in run blocking and Schoonmaker got a 45. My impression of those guys is that they're being asked to do the most impressive and difficult blocks and also they're doing them. <laughs> so... well, like what? Yeah. Like, well, how could you like when Michigan ran the ball with their first team offense, UConn's line just was moved down the field. Like they just were moved out of the way every single time. I don't know how you could give them anything other than a perfect run blocking grade in pretty much every case. Like there was no resistance from that defense. That doesn't I, make any sense. Yeah. I, like, I don't know if they're just like, not getting what Schoonmaker's assignment is on these split zone arc reads where he skips the read defender and loops around and picks off uh, the next level defender. And those blocks often look pretty ugly because you just have to get in the way, but he does it like, I, I like Michigan's been so good on the ground. I just, I don't understand it. I really don't. Um, it's for Blake Corum's Heisman campaign. That's basically all it is because literally like I think you brought it up in in our show chat that like basically like if the run blocking is so bad it assumes that Michigan has potentially the best running backs in college football like regardless of opponent like well, like, like ever like not even the best in the country like <laughs> it, it, it posits if their grades from last year and this year are correct then like Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum are basically like Earl Campbell and Barry Sanders. And like, <laughs> and God Hassan bless those. came in as the third string back on the Titans this year. So like, I don't know about that. Yeah. And like, I, I love those guys. And <laughs> yeah. I think they are like, I do think that both of them have been among the best backs in college in their, their sort of featured seasons. Mm-hmm. I think Corum is that for sure, but like, he's not the greatest running back ever. And to put up these consistent numbers with bad block, bad or even middling blocking, he would kind of have to be. And like, that's it just doesn't add up like like the, these numbers do not correspond to the games that are being played it doesn't make sense right especially with the quality of opponent because like if you like we like we just said like these are three of the worst teams in fbs if not all of college football fcs teams could easily beat these three and if if you're saying that like the run blocking is still bad like it, it implies that like that blake quorum should be like right now number one the odds favorite for the heisman like it it just doesn't make sense. And they also love Trent A. Jones, which we talked about. Like he he does, and I don't have the gr- the numbers in front of me, but like he he tends to grade a little bit better than the rest of the line, which he's is their worst of... starting lineman. And I don't say to be a hater, but like that's pretty clear at this point. Like I I don't like worst I, is relative. Like he is like the least strong on a good offensive line. But yeah, but no, for sure. Yeah. But it's like I I mean, the Corum thing, like, I, I do think Corum is one of the best running backs in the country. I also know that he is not creating every one of those plays by himself. It never works that way. Like, even for Barry Sanders. I mean, the blocking I, has been beautiful. Like, I'm going back through the, like, making gifts, and it's just fucking gorgeous. So, I don't, like, and now I'm 
I'm looking at the defensive grades from this game, and it's just it's driving me nuts because Michigan, like almost all of these defenders are grading in the 60s or below, which is bad. This is like it's like a like the grades you get in school. These are failing grades, basically. That defense pitched like... a shutout and gave out a, gave up 110 yards. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, anytime you get a shutout, I don't care who you're playing. I don't care if you're playing Pioneer High. Like, you should get. You guys didn't even get close. <laughs> I, yeah, they didn't, I mean, like, what could Michigan possibly have done in this game? What could the players possibly have done better? Like, I, I mean, I, I will, I will admit that, like, yeah, you do UFR, like, you know, like for this is like this is the thing UFR for Brian and Seth at MGO Blog. They show their work, so you yes. know what they grade on every play. I may disagree at times. But like they at least tell you what their grading is, and like I know why they came to the conclusion they claim to. PFF is this black box that is objectively wrong in this case. They're not describing when I say objectively wrong, I mean that their grades are not describing the action of the game, which should yeah, be the you, whole goal. You cannot basically fail a defense that gave up two point one yards of play against an opponent that is in the same like within two divisions. <laughs> like Yeah, it, it's it's absurd. And like I, I mean, I'm not just being a homer. Like PFF should be pretty embarrassed about this. This is just bad. It's weird. And and the fact that we're like like I, I find PFF very useful in certain respects. I I their advanced stats uh are the the ones that aren't grades are very useful. Uh I'm able to able I'm able to look up stuff like depth of target uh, for quarterbacks and and those kind of passing depth charts and a whole bunch of different like you know pressures by defensive linemen that aren't converted into a, a lot of things. Um, but the grades are just I, I I can't take them seriously, and it makes it hard to take you know when PFF puts out all American teams and whatever all all conference teams. It's like I okay <laughs> like I I'm gonna have to see the tape because <laughs> yeah. And and I think the thing that perplexes me is like, again, to your point, Ace, they're so helpful in terms of like, it is hard to find reliable like numbers and advanced stats for offensive and defensive line. And I think that's a lot of why um, a lot of discussion of like line play isn't really as prominent in like, you know, kind of mainstream discussion of football. But the fact that like they have all this data and they're still like, nah, Michigan sucks. That's it's just it doesn't quite make sense to me. I have um, watched. Ugh. I have. I mean, yeah. like all of all three of us here have watched a shitload of college football this year. Like I've watched more than usual for me in the first three weeks. I've watched a lot of teams. Michigan has looked as sharp as literally anyone. I think the only team that's arguably looked like way sharper on both sides of the ball is Georgia, yes. which is probably <laughs> the best team in the country again. Ohio State's up there. Bama's not up there because they looked horrible against Texas, to be honest. Um, I mean, Michigan is one of the three like sharpest, best looking teams in the country right now. And to then say that their players are not playing well just doesn't make any sense. It is wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. It it defies logic and it doesn't pass just a, a the smell test, the common sense test, whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't get it. Anyway, the linebackers, I, th- I thought they were good. Uh, PFF actually thought Junior Colson was pretty good, which means he must have been a god out there. Uh, <laughs> Mike Barrett played well, I thought. Uh, and uh, considering that Kai Hill Green has now missed the entire non-conference portion, I, I think we should probably expect Mike Barrett to play a fair amount early on in, in conference play because, yeah, it's it, it's a little worrisome when an injury I, I think if they were 
able to bring him back, that might have been the one guy who they'd be willing to play at less than 100% just to give him some live action before the games really start potentially getting a little bit closer. Um, we'll talk more about that later. Uh, but um, I thought the linebacker level looked good. And uh, I mean, everything looked good. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and uh, Connor, you have a you have a Junior Colson take. Oh, just briefly, like, I think there was some galaxy brain discussion among Michigan fans for the season of like, well, the staff loves Junior Colson, but they're overhyping him because like we saw him run the wrong way a bunch as a freshman. And I get where those takes come from. And like, God bless Michigan fans for overanalyzing everything. But like on (laughs) this broadcast. Yeah. I mean, on this broadcast, the crew is just like Junior Colson, one of the best linebackers in the country. And I'm like, yes, yes, he is. And you know, I kind of knew he would be going into the year and uh, he's still not quite like he's not like that otherworldly destroyer of realms that he might be next year. But like, he's very good. And I think there was every reason to think he would be. And like, you know, trust the trust the players a little bit, guys. Yeah, it's a it's a funny situation where like because what we saw last year was a guy who was clearly very talented. And yes, he was in the wrong place a fair amount, but he like his expectations heading into the season were lower because he played than they probably would have been if he had just like rotated in occasionally, uh, only seen a few snaps, basically redshirted, and people just hung on to his high school tape and his recruiting rankings. They would have been really excited for him to take over on the inside. And instead it was like, oh, well, you actually earned a starting job and you weren't quite. Uh, That's that's that's, I mean, that's a really, really great take is like, (laughs) just every mistake in live action gets so amplified and i'm like firmly i've said this many times i'm firmly on the side of like isolated mistakes even even several isolated mistakes just don't mean as much to me as they do to this sort of grading culture because as long as you make up for them with like impactful really good plays like you know a plus plus plays and like general consistency to the point where the mistakes are not undoing your value to the team I am willing to eat mistakes, especially from younger players. And I think we should all like just be a little bit less neurotic about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. Speaking of which, uh, Mike Sainer still is good at nickel. Like, <laughs> I, I know it it's so good. I know it's been it's against wild. three garbage teams that cannot hit the broadside of a barn in the passing game. So I should probably, despite my excitement about him, Ran it in a tiny bit, especially since also some of his plays in the backfield had been pretty much handed to him. But that dude just scraps. Like, I just, I just love him. Like, it's this, and he's like beating out some guys who seem like they could have been legitimate options there. Like, Makari Page looks great. And if they needed him to play the slot more, they, they have enough safeties to do that. But they're playing Mike Sanders still as a starter. And you can see why. And it's fun because he's, he's a feisty little dude. <laughs> He's like a tiny little guy, but he's an absolute menace in the backfield. And like Ace is correct that a lot of that is just scheme being clever slash bad opponent where like, you know, he gets a big gaping hole when he's blitzing and he's able to just get in the backfield immediately. But like still, I mean, to be to be a secondary player and be good at that and to like not only just to be able to get to the QB, but like mix it up in the run game and stuff like he's got it. Uh, he is, you know. I know we're not saying that guys have that dog in them anymore, but like Mike <laughs> Sanders still absolutely he has that that uh canine in him for sure. He's uh he's a, a little warrior out there. He plays he's hard. him, as they say. He is him. <laughs> he is he's, him. He's a short king. We're still saying that, right? Taylor? We are still saying he's a short king. It's short king spring, even though it's fall. Um, or it's very close to fall. Uh, short I king really September, did... at least right now. 
short King September. Uh, yeah, I really, yeah, I think that's a really good point to make about kind of like the linebackers and the secondary overall, because I was a little bit hesitant um, because I, I remember doing their, their preview for the site and I was like, is this going to be okay? And it turns out it's fine. Um, so I, I, again, we need to see big 10 play, not a lot to learn from UConn, but I'm, I'm optimistic and again, I'm much more willing to believe some of the camp evaluations now that we're like looking back at them, that they were pretty honest and not like, you know, fluffy and like flowery about um, just like trying to hype guys up. I feel like maybe the only exception to that is Kate McNamara, uh, where, where, ooh, yeah. But I think so far everything has been pretty spot on and I feel really good about where, where the team is headed. It's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, the corners at least were a little bit tested with these throws because against Hawaii, like everything was that not even catchable. So we didn't really get to see them like Janet Yellen couldn't make those down. <laughs> she had a tough time. <laughs> um, you know, it the mobility was good, but you can only train on train so many things at once at that age. It's it's really <laughs> you got to keep it. It's tough to keep things balanced. Um, but like in this game, we at least saw them like have to play in phase occasionally and when the ball was there they were right in receivers pockets and and knocking things away and i i thought um jamon green looked good uh dj turner is a pretty known commodity at this point and uh i in makari page again but he had a massive hit to i i think the uconn receiver was I don't think the UConn receiver was definitely already dropping the ball, but that was going to jar the ball loose anyway. So it was, it was nice to see him read a play like that, step up and lay a hit for a guy who like is uh pretty spindly. Like that, that was pretty physical. So um, I, I've, I've liked, I've really liked what I've seen from Makari page so far as the third safety. Um, and we'll see if it holds up against better competition, but we're, I don't know how many times we've said that too many, way too many D- do better with scheduling <laughs> Michigan, <laughs> please. <laughs> I don't want to ever go through a non-conference schedule like this again. Um, anything before we move on to our big 10 teams of the week. All right. That's uh... a no. Thank goodness. <laughs> I gave everybody like five seconds. Uh, the, uh, Audacity is inevitably inevitably going to edit that silence down. It was long. It was a long silence. We are brought to you, as always, by Homefield Apparel. They just dropped a Maction Tuesday line that hit every directional Michigan school, and I cannot encourage you enough to check those out. Um, I am not just saying this because I'm being paid to say this. Like These are going to be um, like my... My girlfriend's parents went to Central Michigan. I'm set on uh, on Christmas gifts. Like, I'm good. Because <laughs> uh, cool Central Michigan gear, not easy to find. Um, so use the promo code Meet Midfield for 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com and uh, make your significant other's uh, parents happy. It's uh, It's a good thing. Download the PointsBet app and use the promo code BucketProp to get 100% of your deposit match up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To use that bonus, though, you must use the promo code BUCKETPROB. That is bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet what you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it and use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, 
call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. We uh we chose our Big Ten teams of the week because we we had only so much material on on the UConn game. Some of us chose them. Some of us had the them thrust upon them by uh by duty. But go ahead, Ace. Look, I mean, someone had to cover that game, and I figured you know <laughs> we'll get to it. It was lobbed to you. It's it, it's uh it's an alley oop. Um, I'm going to talk Maryland SMU because I had that on my second screen. I'm I'm not quite that sick. Uh, I, I was primarily watching the Michigan State-Washington game. More on that in a moment. Uh, but Maryland is Michigan's opponent that next week. I will inevitably be watching this game again. Um, not a lot of defense. Uh, SMU won the total yardage battle 520 to 439. Unfortunately, they also lost the turnover battle 2 to nothing. Uh, Tanner Mordecai just airmailed a couple passes against a pretty soft cover, too. Um, so... Yeah, uh, this was great because first of all, a lot of a lot of yards, a lot of offense, pretty fun game back and forth, and the camera angle at Maryland Stadium, if uh, they get the zoom right and FS1 nailed it, um, is functionally in all twenty-two, so you can somewhat analyze the game in real time, and I love it. Uh, so this was this was a, a great second screen experience. Um, final score, I should mention Maryland thirty-four, SMU twenty-seven. Uh, according to Game on Paper, a great resource uh, for advanced stats. Uh, if you don't know that site, it is GameOnPaper.com. That is easy to remember. Uh, Maryland won by seven. Uh, turnover luck was seven point eight points in favor of Maryland. So you could say <laughs> this was a a dead even game against an SMU team that has a good like top twenty five level offense, a very good G five offense, but. Uh, a slightly mistake prone quarterback, and that that came through in this game, and no defense. Um, so a little tough to tell, but I was impressed by the running back Roman Hemby. He had 151 yards and a touchdown on 16 carries. The notable thing from both this game and the first three games for Maryland, uh, especially as it pertains to Michigan, is that Dante Demas just has not looked the same coming back from a pretty gruesome leg injury last year. He had been playing at, I would say, an All-American level um, until he got hurt against Iowa. And so far, he's been their fourth most targeted receiver, and he's turned 11 targets into only 57 yards. So he's he just hasn't been the same threat. Um, Rakeem Jarrett has been a, a good number one, but they're, uh, they're not as scary of a receiving core right now as they were last year. Um, they do have a pretty good uh, third receiver in Deshaun Jones and a decent tight end and Corey Deitches, but it's just it's not the same as what they had last year with Demas playing at his peak. So unless he maybe he'll look a lot better in game four. It, sometimes it takes time to really get comfortable uh, but it it's clearly taking him some time to get to get back up to, to 100% and uh, unfortunately he's not there right now. Um, we'll see when it happens but uh, it, it was kind of a bummer just seeing how not involved he was in the offense. I thought their offensive line was pretty solid on the edges, but their their center in particular has given up a, a disproportionate amount of pressure for somebody who plays right in the middle of the offensive line and usually has like the least intense uh, pass blocking assignments. Uh, those guys tend to give up the least amount of pressure, uh, and he's given up the most on the team. So that's that's a little bit of a red flag for them. I uh, I think Michigan is going to be able to move the ball on these guys. Um, their defense played 
pretty conservatively. They were, as far as I could tell, playing a, a, a pretty loose cover two shell a lot of the time. Uh, and that was all right on a down to down basis. They weren't giving up like a horrifying yards per play or anything, but SMU converted 10 of their 21 third downs. And that did not feel like a fluke. It felt like them just finding the holes in the zones that they knew were going to be there. Um, so they did get turnovers on overthrows. That is a cover two staple. Just ask Iowa, but um, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a game where they should have been holding back. Cause that was a, that was a good offense and they could have very easily lost this game. So unless they get, a little more varied and a little better on the back end. I, I think they're going to have a tough time containing Michigan's passing game. That is enough thoughts on Maryland, especially since we're going to do more on the premium podcast this week. I, I just have one very quick Maryland take, oh, which is shoot. that I turned that game on at the very end when SMU was marching to potentially tie. And I was just very weirded out by like how nonchalant Maryland's defense looked on the field. Like it, it it did not they, they didn't look like impassioned and locked in the way that I would expect a Big Ten team to look in that situation at home against a G five team that was threatening to score. Like it it did not do more do a lot to improve my opinion of Michael Oxley as a head coach who uh <laughs> is meant to be motivating and uh, you know, getting these guys into into fighting fighting trim. So I I think that Maryland defense is probably about as fraudulent as ever. Uh, just a quick note, early line on that game is uh, Michigan minus 17, if you can get it. Uh, that's what it is on points bet. Uh, and, I, I like uh, that bet. <laughs> and so does SP Plus, uh, if uh, a little napkin math on the uh, on the current rankings is correct. Uh, I think Michigan's about a 21-point favorite on there. So, uh, yeah, um, looking looking pretty good for next week uh, if uh, – if current trends hold. Uh, speaking of current trends holding, Connor, I'm going to throw it to you. Yeah. So look, we all saw what we saw uh, in Washington yesterday in Seattle. Um, a game announced by our uh, <laughs> our favorite crew. Oh my god. <laughs> RG3 and Mike Jones. Uh, he was so a great excited. Time. He was so excited when was... he like when he thought up Big Penix energy. I like. <laughs> In a way, like, yes, I agree with Ace that, like, he, he has taken horny too far. But, like, just this year, I think there's just something, like, oddly endearing about, like, the excitement he has. And thinking when he's you're a little horny person, on the air. Like, yes. You're the first person to make that joke is, like, also just, you know, that's that's the overconfidence we expect from athletes, right? And you like, know, like, I, it, like, it's starting to come together that, like, because you know this dude has been making the same jokes for it's got to be like 15 20 years at this point um and at least in the nfl rg3 seemed to wear very thin <laughs> on people in the locker room the pieces are coming together i'm just saying um it, it yeah i mean it it look i i also like mike jones deserves some credit he had such great redundant like you know sonorous phrases as like aqueous water was a great one that he threw out there <laughs> uh he said that that uh you know, Penix and one of his receivers were on the same frequency and wavelength. Uh, he really no. I, I love that Mike Jones whips out SAT words like Mark, Mark Jones. But Mike, Mike Jones. Mark Jones. Is, excuse uh, me. Still a rapper. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I. I look. I can't be bothered to keep track of like names of these guys. They're just too ridiculous. But like that. It, honestly, I, I found I had a lot of fun watching this game. Not just because Michigan State lost. And like, look, as a Michigan podcast, there are a lot of obvious unfair. <laughs> deeply unfair to the Michigan State Spartans uh, takes we could do here. I mean, 
We could say all kinds of things like how is that team ranked 11? But we're not going to say that because no, we have certain no, policies on this podcast. Yes, we do. And we believe Michigan State is going to win a national championship the next couple of years. At least I do. And, and also I have set up a duck blind outside of Connor's window. <laughs> Aces, Ace might be in the tree outside <laughs> once again uh, with the crossbow. We we, don't, we can't know for sure. Um, but Alex, uh, Alex, who's not here, had a great tweet. Um you know, again, it's a joke, people. It's not what we really think. But he said, Chillips Crypto Analyst LLC has downgraded its Tutcoin rating to sell, citing unfavorable market conditions and a complete inability to cover opposing receivers. And look, um, you know, we're, some things may have been said in there, which were, again, very unfair to the Michigan State Spartans. Mm-hmm. But I am, as a crypto guy, I'm just going to jump out and say, we need to huddle. It's going to go back up. We need to huddle our tuck coins. Do not sell your tuck coins. Hang on to them. They're going to the moon, baby. Uh, we need to hold. We need to huddle those tuck coins. You're exactly. So hard to say huddle instead of hold. It's great. <laughs> we need to huddle those tuck coins as hard as Michigan State DBs are going to be holding Michigan receivers. Huddling. Hodling them. They're going to hodl the <laughs> Michigan receivers. And oh, that's, God. and they're not going to be flagged because I know how this game is going to go. I watched that secondary against Washington and they're going to Michigan need needs to hodl too. This is why we're encouraged, encouraging the hodling right now. The hodling must happen. And like, I, I just, my very serious prediction, this is like a dead serious take is like, I watched that game. I saw the problems that Michigan State has. And, like, I know they're just going to hold the shit out of Michigan receivers. And they're going to get away with it because that game always goes like that. So just be prepared, everybody. Um, Like, regardless of what happens, regardless of the fluctuations in Tutcoin, look, it's just a matter of Tutcoin working out the details of how it can be translated into um, – completely obsolete fiat currency it's just it's just a matter of some some minor fluctuations but like you know we're we're not going to take this opportunity to get some fun in at the expense of michigan state because that would be unfair never we would never do that hodl those tuck coins and look forward to an exciting game in ann arbor that i'm sure will go onto the wire and the best team will win i mean the thing about these these nf talks is is you got to remember they they both spike and dip at very unexpected random times. You gotta just you gotta ride those out because eventually it's gonna it's gonna get up to to back to back to normal. And you gotta have those diamond hands like Keon Coleman does. You've gotta you've gotta be able to just hang on to stuff and, and ride the wave. Ride the waves of the mighty red cedar. Yes. So if you have invested in any uh Mel Tucker NFTs, hang on. It's gonna be okay. It is not going to be okay. At Nebraska, is that right, no. Taylor? <laughs> no, it's not. Hello. Uh enough of this enough of this crypto talk. I I'm we're done. We're talking we're done. about Sorry. real football. <laughs> we're we're, we're talking about real football now by a real football team. Um and that is the Oklahoma Zoom. Yes. <laughs> um anyway, uh so Nebraska, they're the team that I would like to discuss because they got absolutely rocked by Oklahoma. Um, so the final score was 49 to 14, but that 14 is really not fair uh, because that was on like the final drive. So they kind of book Nebraska's drives were kind of bookend touchdowns and everything else was bad. Taylor, um, we call that defeat with dignity where I come from. Okay? <laughs> that's right. Uh, that, that's correct. Uh, we do. We do call that defeated with dignity. Um, anyway, so basically it was 49 to 7. They scored a garbage time touchdown. It doesn't matter. Um, so, um, 
you know, that first that first drive where they got a touchdown, people were actually very excited about that. And I, I, I didn't quite get it. I was not around for the noon slate for the most part. I was um, at a meeting and then um, went and got lunch. But uh, that's a different story. Uh, anyway, um, as you watch the game replay or as you watched the game, you could actually audibly hear um, Oklahoma fans in Lincoln, um, which is probably really bad for them because like. Anytime um, Bob Stoops' kid caught the ball, they were yelling Stoops, and he plays for Oklahoma. Mm. He does not play for Nebraska. You can yeah. hear it audibly. <laughs> um, so that's really not good. It's really, really not good for them. Um, yeah, Drake Stoops. Uh, but I, ho- I hope he's named after Drake. <laughs> I, I don't know how the timing lines up, but I'm going to choose to believe that from this point forward. I hope oh, he was like man. a big Degrassi fan. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be incredible. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, you could like hear that. So like Oklahoma had a really nice crowd there, apparently enough to um, get that stooped chant through. Um, Oklahoma had 580 total yards of offense. Um, I believe they had like 200 some odd yards passing and 300 some odd yards rushing. It Which I just want it to be in. that it, you don't want it to be it to be divided up like that. That is a no, miserable way to give up 580 yards. <laughs> I, I, I also think most ways are. True. Kind of disappointing. So I think Georgia Southern had like 680 some <laughs> the week before. So I mean, Oklahoma. I don't know. There's some question marks there for Brent Venables. This was an improvement. <laughs> um, yes, uh, that that is true. Yeah. So then, anyway, they like one of their touchdowns was a re- Oklahoma's touchdowns. Come on, not Nebraska's. Um, was a really impressive trick play where um Willis threw the ball to Major. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, Willis is not their quarterback. They kind of like dumped it and then like then he threw it. Um. I didn't do a great job in these notes. Can you tell? Uh, Because I have more important (laughs) things to talk about other than this game. Um, So it was a total routing. uh, But I really want to point out how in shambles Nebraska is right now. So Mickey Joseph, who is the first black head coach in Nebraska history, not just Nebraska football history, the entire history of Nebraska athletics, which we can unpack that at a completely separate time. Please. But (laughs) I I mean, I would love to. Oh, my God. But that's really, really concerning. It's really, really bad. Um, Mickey Joseph, to his credit, is already cleaning house. Um, he has fired their defensive coordinator after, hmm, I wonder why. How many total total yards of offense did they give up? Um, and so, like, that's really, that's, you know, it's promising, or maybe not promising, that Mickey Joseph is the the head coach, like, and is already cleaning house on Scott Frost's staff. He's like, nah, this isn't good enough. That rocks to me, and I think that's really, really... Like, that's a really great move, and I love that. Um, but I'm just imagining, <laughs> like, any other, like, situation for any other, like, ballyhooed coach in a major program like Scott Frost once was. It's difficult it is to imagine. Like, their assistant gets elevated. They're immediately just like, fuck all these people I worked with. You guys all suck. Go home. <laughs> like, it just, it just feels like what, what he built at Nebraska is just so uniquely poisonous in a hilarious yeah. way like it's just whatever he was, was going on in that football building like i i just feel like we we need like we need some athletic deep dives we need some investigative reporting to tell us what the hell was going on in nebraska this whole time i have to know and like the other interesting thing is like i mean to be fair uh mickey joseph was a quarterback at nebraska so so it's not like he doesn't have some form of clout there um but at the same time it's just like it's just really incredible that he was just like, yeah, no, fuck this. We're not doing this. <laughs> and and I think that's to his credit. I really do. I think that that's a really bold, bold move. And it, and I mean, his, 
he's making an effort to actually coach the team, which That's like true. is his is his stated job. And like unfortunately, it's no, a unfortunately wild for him, departure from what was happening in the last few years. <laughs> right. Like a sincere effort to coach well is, you know, was apparently beyond Scott Frost. So hey, like, guys I, were I, puking, okay? They were throwing <laughs> up like 18 times a day. Oh, that has to produce good football. Yeah. yeah, and like I, I'm with you, Taylor. Like I, I, I don't. I think what he's doing is right. It's just like it's just so funny to be like, yeah, I'm on this staff, and like actually, guys, we suck. Let's just admit we suck. It's like that Simpsons bit where it's like Cuba, and they're like, oh come on, everybody, you knew this communism thing wouldn't work out. It's like Mickey Joseph was like, we all knew this staff wouldn't work out. Sorry, guys, you're all fired. In fact, I'm firing myself too. Like it's just, it just feels. I, I just, I, I'm sorry. We've all said it. I just, I don't know how Nebraska got to this point. It is truly incredible. Right, and I mean, like that's that's the just perplexing part of nebraska because they really put all of their eggs in that basket and i just think that that is a delight um but anyway the more the more serious thing that i did want to bring up and it is kind of tied to mickey joseph's uh brief tenure so far um that nebraska allegedly reached out to urban meyer for this job um which Mm. Yeah, they were also you have- <laughs> chanting for him on like while he was on. First of all, yes. uh, the Fox pregame show still went there, <laughs> uh, yes. which great call. Great call on their part. Uh, that was um, if, if you're going to have to counter program game day, making the tremendous choice to go to Boone, uh, then uh, that that was how to do it, because um, Nebraska fans were chanting. We want urban uh, big noon Saturday, broadcast. like. I don't know that any of the guys who host it are actually divorced, but like somehow it has the most divorced guy energy. Like all those dudes, it really does. Right. Like it just, there's just something very seedy and like, like specifically like older guy seedy about it. And obviously Urban Meyer and Urban Meyer should not be in a room together. It doesn't feel safe. (laughs) Like I just like those bars and whatever town they go to for big noon are just like a danger zone. As soon as those guys turn up, like you don't know what's going to happen. And I just also want to laugh. I'm also just laughing because we're talking about like, yes, Scott Frost himself was the problem, but also like there are clearly deep culture issues at Nebraska because they have a roster of decent players that can't win and coaches that can't coach. So that's like a that's like you have to rip the whole thing out, root and stem and rebuild the culture. So you want to hire Urban Meyer. (laughs) Yeah. And like, that's the thing that's frustrating, because, again, I mean, if you want to get big picture, if you want to think systemically about what what is happening in most coaching across like football in particular, where where we're seeing this a lot now, like it's just wild that a lot of this talent, like a lot of talent in coaching ranks is, is overlooked, whether it's um, you know, whether it's based on race, whether it's based on kind of like who is already like the known quantity. There's so many different factors that you could point to of like why, what is happening is happening across like coaching and across athletics and the fact that urban my so a lot of things are happening so like urban meyer's name continually getting recycled even after there are documented issues with the way he coached the jacksonville jaguars like to a point where he got fired for kicking the kicker um <laughs> like never not laugh at that i'm sorry <laughs> it rocks it, it really does rock um <laughs> and and so like when you think about like all these documented problems that he even had coaching college teams like Ohio State, he harbored Zach Smith and just and still got to teach a leadership class. Like Florida. Do you do we need to talk about Florida? Because like 
Yikes! That's a that's the a less we talk about itself. Florida, the better. I'm that's afraid true. to talk about that, so let's just yeah. skip over. Yeah, it. we're gonna skip over all of that. Um, Connor's but, afraid, like, and I'm currently in a duck blind outside his house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like all of this to say is that like this is another great example of like there is talent here, and there are people that want to coach, and there are people who are able to coach, and we are that is constantly overshadowed by the fact that these same guys get considered over and over and over again because we are willing to look past like we are willing to look past like all of their problems like in urban meyer's case yes he wins but like decades upon decades of like leaving teams in shambles and like he is going and like nebraska fans like want him to be their coach because like we, they want to win so badly and i think the other thing that like i'm also trying to get to and i haven't done that in the most articulate way is to say that mickey joseph is going to like this is just a fact of football going to be scrutinized more even as an interim because he's a black head coach like that is all all of this comes to play and we're seeing it all happen at once in this particular scott frost <laughs> fallout situation so we are seeing all of the problems of like coaching culture football culture it's all happening at nebraska which is a weird nexus like a weird center point to watch some of this unfold um and that's all i've got because nebraska is actually not a good football team <laughs> yes thank you thank you for doing uh more analysis of the uh nebraska football coach culture than the nebraska football program i should be their ad Hire I mean, me. you would be doing a better job than Trev Alberts, who got an yeah. itchy trigger <laughs> figure and cost his booster seven and a half million dollars. That is, I mean, it's I'm guessing so the boosters were in on it, but that that is still just like you had, had to wait, so hard. You had to wait list three weeks, man. He had a, a big button in his office that's like cost the boosters seven and a half million dollars. He's like, don't press it, Trev. Don't press it. Oh, I'm gonna press it. <laughs> I'm gonna press it. <laughs> uh, oh, at least it kept him from being embarrassed by Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. Nothing. Nothing terrible happened in that game. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. That was just a really brutal. Like just watching some of that is just. It was just really brutal, and I feel for those players because, like, that is. It is going to be a long season for them. I do feel for them. Like they have a lot of pretty good players that just like don't deserve this, and even their bad players don't deserve this. It's. It's. I remember nineteen ninety seven. They deserve everything. I, I think Scott Frost deserves it and like the older fans that contributed to that every job bit of it. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. I just like, dude, I would read a whole book about what, what went wrong with Scott Frost. I am riveted by how bad this is. All, all I'm going to say, Tennessee, Tennessee, Phil Fulmer, you know, <laughs> commonly thought to have voted Michigan uh, either third or fourth in the coaches polls so that Tom Osborne would ride into the sunset with a national championship. Look at what has happened to Tennessee. Uh, it's true that the trajectory. Yes, they won a national title. The literally the season after this happened, but since then, uh, I, I'm just saying what goes around that. Hey, so, okay, we don't have time for this today, but like the idea that Tennessee and Nebraska have both had like 25 years of karmic pain to pay for that is oh, actually meet at midfield uh, might be exploring this. Soon. That's now, a, now that, that is talking a great about fucking it. take. I love Look, it. I'm I'm all in on it. it, it right down oh, to God. we we foisted Mike DeBoard on Tennessee at one point, <laughs> and they almost lost to App State because of it. Um, wow! Yeah, yeah, no, we we were we were gonna dive into this. How um, deep does the rabbit hole go? <laughs>
I have one more quick thing before we uh, get on out of here, um, which is that if your school is doing like <clears throat> super epic break and pride day announcements for the football game that they scheduled against fucking Liberty, then that school is part of the problem. So the people who are like celebrating UMass for getting a little own on Twitter. Yeah, no, that that's not cool at all. Don't play Liberty in football. Don't associate with Liberty in anything. This is not owning them. This is bringing more attention to their program. And it sucks. Don't do it. On that lovely note, follow at Bucket Problem and at Meet at Midfield on Twitter. Sign up for midfield.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to this year's free podcast. Use the promo code Meet at Midfield at homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code BucketProb on PointsBet. Thanks for listening and have a great week.